Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you join us as Neil Brower shares with us a message that helps us see how we can be life givers. Listen as he shows us that we're life givers in that we have something to give away and that something is the grace of Jesus in us that we can share with someone else. You can't miss, right? You gotta like me. It's your job. Okay, so usually when, when uh, people like me come visit places like this, we start off by saying how glad we are to be here and what an honor and a privilege it is and all that. I, I just want you to know that that's true, okay, to be here with you in this moment. The other thing that's really true is the bigger picture of it. For 28 years, I've been pastoring local churches. And so to become a denominational guy, you know, like a denominational guy, you know, it's really weird for me. It's like fish out of water kind of a thing, but I sense that it was what God wanted to do. And it seems like every single day that I'm going about doing what I'm doing these days, he reaffirms that, in fact, I'm in the right place at the right time, and this is what God wants to do. So this is part of that, and I really appreciate it. We are, um, Bay Hills is a part of a bigger family. I, some of you didn't even know that, I, I'm willing to bet, because that's kind of like evangelical free church uh, tradition is to not know that you're an evangelical free church um, all across the country. All right. That's true everywhere. So in, in any case, yeah, evangelical free church of America is the group that that Bay Hills is a part of and it's nationwide. It's around the world in a lot of countries. And um, and it's great to be a part of a larger family. That's a good thing. It's a good thing for humility, for accountability, for partnership, for doing a lot of things we can't do alone. Um, it's good for support. And that's kind of why I exist. My first thing is to be here for your pastor and to be here for you as a church. And if there's anything we can ever do, phone call away, email, text, whatever, away for that. And we want to be here for that reason. The other reason is why I'm so thrilled to be here today and sharing the Word of God with you today. And that is because if there's something that God would do to use me to implant a vision, to raise your eyes up, to see why it is that we all exist, why it is that God gives us our next breath, I kind of want to discover that and focus us on that, focus pastors on that, and have us move headlong into that without hesitation and without any limitations and so forth. And so that's what I plan to bring you today. So you can see on the screen already, what I'm going to bring you from 1 Corinthians is the idea that we are life givers together as a group, all of us, not just us, you know, professional religious guys, right? But all of us are life givers. That is, if we have been given life in Christ then now we have something to give away. Um, and that is an incredible privilege and it's an incredible purpose for living. If you've wondered, as you've carried out your life, the bigger questions, you know, you lay your head down uh, on your pillow at night and you s- stare at the ceiling and you wonder, what, 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 why, why, why am I getting up in the morning to do this all over again? You get that kind of thing? Um, this is it. it. It is to give life, the grace of Jesus, away to somebody else. And when you're done with that, he doesn't give you your next breath. You're done. So if he's giving you a breath, that's why. And so I, I want to share a little bit of that with you this morning. And hopefully that can be something you join me in, in praying that our entire Northern California, Northern Nevada area really grabs hold of that purpose and that we rise up as believer priests and actually change the world around us. Okay? That'd be cool, right? That's huge. It's big. So let's pray as we start. Can we do that? Father... We're here, we're available, we, we are yours, we want you to do whatever it is you want to do in us now, 
And I pray, Father, for every kind of person in the room, because I don't know anyone. Because that's true, Lord, I, I feel like, like I can, I, I, what I want to do is just speak from your heart and, and let you speak into the hearts of each one that you know so intimately. You know what everybody brought here today. You know if they brought pain, and you know if they brought skepticism. You know if they brought woundedness or enthusiasm, joy and peace or turmoil. You know if they can concentrate and focus or if they think that, that this is all ludicrous anyway. And so you know everybody. But we are here not by mistake and perhaps not even by our own design, but by your design. I acknowledge that today, Lord, which tells me you have a purpose that maybe we would leave this place even just a little different than when we walked in. That's what I ask, because you do something here today among us. So we are yours, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're, we're life givers, um, but it's almost as if we have nothing really to qualify ourselves to be that. Uh, that's where we're going to spend our time, why we can give life away to others, and yet we feel so desperately unqualified. So so let's let's think about the human condition just a little bit here, okay? Because we like to pride ourselves in believing that we're, we're pretty decent, right? We're pretty good. I mean, we're basic. I mean, I hear this all the time. You know, humans, I gotta believe humans are basically good. And then I look like when I shut the door and turn off the lights and I look inside of myself and I go, you know what? There's something wrong with this picture. Cause I don't think that's what I am. Basically good. And we see all the, all the stuff around the earth and everything else. What I want to do is kind of set, set a, uh, a field that we're going to cultivate. Okay, I want to just kind of set a stage a little bit here. And to do that, I want to show you a video that you've probably seen before. It's a commercial on TV. And it's a little bit of a, an accounting of, of, of the human condition. Let's watch it. You don't want the address, the Liberty Mutual address? Okay, so I grew up, I grew up a broken kid in an even more broken home. If, if my dad was, was a demon, my mom was an angel. And so there was this, discrepancy in my home and there was this pain and this inconsistency and this hardship and this abuse and all kinds of stuff going on there my mom gave me jesus um, my dad existed as an example of the opposite and and so i i grew up wondering what was real what was true how, how to make life work um and so i entered into survival mode very quickly the only thing that really kept me above water with sports and and so very early i learned that i could do almost anything i tried and so that's what sort of kept me uh in place it wasn't as good for my sisters and my mother um so the abuses and the negligence of my birth father taught me young and early that people in fact were dangerous and you might not be able to trust them except maybe one at a time but probably ought to just protect yourself from all of them all the time right and build up the walls and just not trust anybody ever, right? So my, my general disposition was to avoid people all the time at all costs, to isolate. And when we isolate, living in secret, right, what happens? We start believing, believing stuff that isn't true. We, things go from bad to worse. Uh, so survival turned into self-destruction very quickly for me in my childhood. Now, another thing happens while we're in isolation, and that is that we confine our view of the world to whatever alternate reality works for us in that moment, to just survive this day, the next encounter, the, the next obligation, or something that we have to get done and don't feel adequate to accomplish, right? And so, so we, we, we are in this alternate reality of our own creation while in isolation. It rarely matches 
what's really going on around us, and to greater or lesser degrees, we've all made life work along these lines. Some of us in a more healthy way, others can cover it up better. Add to that our shared ancestry, that is that we are children of Adam, uh, and the only conclusion to be drawn is that we are a very broken humanity, right? So the video. Um, and it puts it in a lighthearted kind of a way, and that's why I like it. And like I've been in on, what, like nine out of the 12 examples they gave you on the screen there, right? I, I've done all those things, right? And so much worse, of course, too. And so to steal from this insurance company's insight, we are imperfect creatures, and I'm not sure that we can argue Anybody can argue that point. Now, fast forward. For the 30 years leading up to this day that I'm with you right now, I've been shepherding Jesus' sheep in local churches in California, in Nebraska, in small towns, uh, urban and rural. In fact, that town during the July 4th video, that's like the town I just moved here from. I mean, it could have been the same town. Did you even notice the background of that little, little guy running around? It's exactly where we came from, okay? Rural Nebraska. Uh, and now we live in the city. It's a big change, right? And it's, a, it's awesome, and we're having fun with it. So anyway, we've, we've, we've had the privilege to travel the world, preaching to tens, preaching to thousands, and all the way along the way I've wondered, in what universe are you qualified, Neil, to be representing the King of Kings right now? And it's a struggle every single time I stand on a platform like this. Craziness, right? Who are we? that we might speak for the king. So everywhere I've served and I've led, I've referred to what I call my heaping, steaming pile. It's right over here. Here it is. See it? Can you smell it? Yeah. yeah. You smelled your own? Because see, here's the truth, everybody. You all have one of those piles. And some of you are really good at, like, you cover it with lawn. You trim it, you put flowers around it, you mask it, you spray it down with stuff, you know. And, and others of us aren't as good at covering it up. But there it is, it's all there, and it, and, it, and it reveals to me and it reminds me on a constant basis that I am in need. I can't do this on my own. And so Jesus then, as we celebrated at his table, is the one who has given us that opportunity to find the life we can't conjure up on our own, though we've worked so hard to do so. So hard we've worked, and many of us have accomplished much. And still, we think there's something missing. Something not quite all tied up neatly. So then, uh, he's given me some gifts that I attempt to give back to him to use at different times for his glory. And I'm, but I'm just, I'm more self-aware than I've ever been in my life that, that God is using me not because of any kind of inherent genius or creativity or ingenuity or charisma, in spite of those things, and in fact, because of my flaws, I have become useful. And that's what I want you to think about this morning. Here's what I've concluded. God chose me in my broken condition because it is best. It's the best formula for success, His success, what He's trying to get accomplished on earth. So then I have one qualifier to my service of the King. Because I have been given life, I can give life away. It's something I possess. It's in my possession, so I can give it away. Humans, right? We mean well, but we are imperfect creatures living in a beautifully imperfect world. So Liberty Mutual got it right. And then they concluded, that's why you need insurance. Right? What they don't know is how deep the theology is behind their phrasing. 
how much it exhibits the truth of the way things work on earth with God in heaven and man. This is deep stuff. The truth of the human condition leads us to only one conclusion. We need grace. And only grace will do. Mercy is not enough. Forgiveness itself is not enough. Only grace in its fullness will do. So it's amazing we've gotten this far. Maybe it's because when one of us messes up, someone else comes along to help out. And that's our calling in life, right? The broken being there for the broken. And this is one of the reasons that I love 12-step recovery, by the way. Um, the addicts are helping the addicts, right? The insane are running the asylum, right? Um, so whatever you feel about that, uh, uh, man, it's, it's like God's design that each and every one of us in this room, having been touched by Him, is now qualified to touch another, even though our life is far from put together. And it's a beautifully freeing thing. And so anyone who has tasted of the grace of God and embraced it as their own is now amply qualified to give that grace away and see Jesus' kingdom increasing. Because that's the message. That's the gospel. That's the beautiful nature of the good news. Beautifully imperfect people giving grace to beautifully imperfect people because it's not that we just mess up on occasion. It's that we are thoroughly messed up as a condition of the heart. And that needs to be taken care of. So open your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you would. 1 Corinthians 15. And as you're finding it, I might mention that I'm going out of the New American Standard Bible. You guys are using New International, I understand. If you don't have a Bible and want one to open yourself, there's some back there on the table I think you can grab. And this might be a great time for you to take out that little outline thing that's in your program, too. Um, and you can fill out some blanks or take some notes or write down some incredibly beautiful nuggets of truth that I'm going to just let pour out of my mouth because it's just so... Amazing, you can't help yourself, you've got to take notes. Yeah, okay, so there's that. So here it is, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I want you to, I want you to grab a hold of what God is doing here in, in revealing these things to us as we, as we take a look. As you're finding this passage, I want to tell you a couple of stories from the Gospels that, that reveal the realness of humanity. Pretty famous stories of pretty messed up people, and they actually invite me and you into the simplicity of a life-giving manner of life. That is that we have a story that we can tell, too, if we'll keep it simple, keep it brief, keep it honest. We've got a story that we can tell, too. So the first story is about the man who was born blind. You remember that story? And so Jesus and he encounter, and he's blind, and, and Jesus is going to heal him. And so he puts mud on him, and he tells him to go wash and then report to the religious leaders of the day and, and, and that kind of thing. And so he does all of that, and when he washes it off, he can see. And so he's with these religious leaders of the day, and they're... they're it's like the Inquisition. They're saying, well, what, who did, what, how did that, and what happened there, and what, what are you going to, and who are you anyway, and we, this was wrong, and that's bad, and, and, he, there, and he had one thing to say. And I love this, because he, he boiled down the entirety of his encounter with Jesus to one sentence. You remember it? Once I was blind, now I can see. Isn't that great? See, he, here's my story. Once I was buried in shame. Now I live at rest. What's yours? And that's what it comes down to. Your encounter with Jesus and His grace has resulted in a story that you can tell. When I think of this man born blind, I think, 
give me a little more. You know, I want a few more detail. And he stuck to his story. I don't know. I can't tell you anything. I was blind. I didn't even see the guy. Who was it? I don't know. I can't pick him out of a crowd. All I know, once I was blind, now I can see. And how is it that God has changed you? That's your story of grace that you can give away to somebody else. Really? That's it? You think about it, though, throughout all of the history, even biblical history, and think of the names, Adam, Noah, Abraham, Lot, Moses, Rahab, Tamar, Saul, David, Solomon, Matthew, Peter, Paul. Think about these people, right? I've taken them out of the lists in Hebrews chapter 11 or off of Jesus' genealogy, right? And we've created heroes after these people, out of these people, haven't we? We made them into heroes, and you realize, of course, don't you, that they would have been better off. It would have been more right if they'd lived out their life in prison rather than in service of the King of Kings. Go back and read their stories again. All of them, incredibly broken. And God did that on purpose, revealing to us story after story of the way that He heals the broken. He calls the broken. He chooses the broken to do His work. Because that's what his work is about. It's about meeting with broken people and then choosing them to pass along the grace. An incredible reality, which brings us to 1 Corinthians 15. You know, I think, I think of, <laughs> I, I think of the idea that Jesus gave the keys of the kingdom to his first followers and I'm thinking, like, who would have come up with that idea? Really? That, that's it? You've given us the responsibility of populating heaven? You're going with that. And sure enough, he is. So here we are, point number one on your outline if you're following along. God chose me in my broken condition. Now I'm going to read beginning at verse 42 in 1 Corinthians 15. But before I do, let me be clear about the context of these verses. It's vitally important because we can't just go around saying we're broken without realizing what the resources are that are around us, even within the framework of our brokenness. So chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians is most known for its teaching about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, this historical reality the circumstance that took place, but what's behind it all and what it really all meant, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul has addressed some really tough stuff in the book of 1 Corinthians, right? And if you read it, you can see it. It's like tons of R-rated stuff at least, and then all kinds of bad business practices and just cheating one another, and all this stuff's going on within the framework of the church, incest and all kinds of things. And Paul's saying, okay, no, that's not really what the church is supposed to look like. It's kind of supposed to look more like this. And he, and he writes and teaches and he does all that kind of stuff between chapter 1 and chapter 15, which is vitally important. I'll point that out to you in just a second. So tough book, tough thing. Life in the church has gone sour. He confronts it all, um, everything that could compromise them, and then he gives them clear teaching on the beauty and the health of a functioning church. And then he declared in no uncertain terms why. Why they could live and love and be the church that would impact a world that would actually have good news instead of bad news, which is so much of what the church delivers these days. He made clear that all life, all hope, all power is sourced in the reality of the resurrection, his resurrection. So in this second to last chapter book we call First Corinthians, he lays out the fact of the resurrection. Then he lays out the order of the resurrection, then the mystery of the resurrection, and finally he teaches on the victory of the resurrection, everything that it accomplishes. And in doing so, he says, it's all about the resurrection. Nothing else even matters, and apart from it, you have nothing to say and no hope in life. It's the resurrection 
Okay, that's what it's about. So when he sums up in verse 58, okay, keep the resurrection in mind. Here's what it says. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Therefore, that is, in light of the resurrection, okay, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil in the Lord is not in vain. So as you go about exercising the call of God on your life, remember that the only reason it's worth a hoot is because of the resurrection and the power behind all of it. So the work of the Lord is that we give life to everyone in the world. And this call to work in the context of the resurrection is not so much a motivational statement as it is an empowering reminder of the foundation upon which we all stand regardless of our current human condition. It's about Him, not us. It's all based on the power that raised Jesus from the dead. Okay? Not your brain power, not your willpower, not your horsepower. Okay? But resurrection power will be used, will use human weakness to bring life to a dying world. So here's the point. God chose me in my brokenness, my broken condition. So then, 1 Corinthians, now we're here finally, sorry. Verse 42 of chapter 15. Let me read. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body... There is also a spiritual body. So we have the core truth of this passage being this. It's plain. Without Christ, apart from Christ and the resurrection, we are perishable, dishonorable, weak, and natural. Okay? That's who we are. But through Christ and because of what He's accomplished, His finished work, in Christ, we are raised up imperishable, glorious, powerful, and spiritual. And that is your new identity if you have surrendered your heart and put your trust and faith in Jesus and His resurrection. New identity. See, that's the beauty of the gospel. That is the good news. The reality of our brokenness. And that one day we will be unbroken, raised up to complete healing from our very real brokenness. So Jesus has accomplished everything to heal my spirit and one day to redeem my spirit And one day he's even going to redeem this stinking body, right? And it's going to match. My body's going to be, this, this, ah, that I still live in, right? So all the battles that I have are right here, aren't they? Are you with me here? Yeah. And so it's real. And God's going to redeem that too. In the meantime, he wants us and our brokenness and that, that battle and that reality of life to be part of the plan that he uses in our life to make grace real in the lives of others. So for most of my Christian life, I've tried to deny it. I've tried to cover it up. I've tried to make up for it. I've tried to pretend it isn't true, or at least I've tried to convince you it isn't true. That's kind of the sum total of the way the church has functioned forever, right? We all get together and dress it up. We put on appearances. We speak of past sins in our lives and how God has gloriously saved us from them, and it's as if we don't deal with anything today. What we've thought is that if I can convince you that I'm a little better than I really am, then I've like achieved the goal and now I can stand strong and my image and reputation are intact. Anybody exhausted playing that game? Oh my goodness. 
What's real freedom here? You realize this? True freedom is when you think I'm a little worse than I really am. Feel that with me a little bit. That's freedom for me just living my life in the grace of God. So being saved by grace, we are living under an oppression and an expectation of perfect performance. And I'm tired. God chose me in my broken condition. And because I have resurrection-based grace, I don't have to play that game anymore. And I'm done with it. And I want you to be joining me now and being done with it. It was never God's plan. God chose me in my weak condition. He leaves me in my weak condition. He intends to use me, not in spite of my weak condition, but because of my weak condition. You hearing that? This might sound like craziness in some of your ears. You see, we've always been called to strive for holiness and excellence, and I'm not attacking those things. Be holy as I am holy. Yeah, the Bible calls us to that. What I am pointing out is the truth that behind all of that, the truth behind the reality of all of that, and in case you're struggling with this idea, I, I want to, again, expose Paul's point in all of this made, made very clear in the entire book of 1 Corinthians by having you turn back to chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, would you do that? Look there with me real quickly. It'll be on the screen for you, too, if you don't want to turn. Yeah. So, so here it is, the bracketing literary technique of Paul as he writes this letter to the people. Okay? So we've got chapter 15, which is the summing up of everything, and chapter 1, which is the introduction to everything. In the middle, he deals with all of this junk, right? And on the, on the outsides, he tells you why the junk is there. It's because he's aware of and points out to them the true brokenness and weakness of man in Christ living in the flesh. And so he is defining grace in a fullness that we've missed. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, let me read beginning at verse 26. He's describing the human condition. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many noble, or mighty, excuse me, not many noble. And so we look at that and we say, shoot, well, man, dang, very few are qualified then. Who can serve God? Right? Oh, he's just got a little tiny handful to choose from. And so he does, right? He he chooses from a handful. And and, and we send them off to school, and we do things like ordaining them, and we sometimes, in some cases, put on different clothes for them to wear. And they're the special ones. See, they stand up here, and they deliver speeches that we call sermons because they're special. And they're better than everybody else. And I know better than that because I am one of those guys. The professional religious guy, right? who has been so, in our culture, has been so lifted up and kind of set aside that they're almost irrelevant. Some of us have chosen to trust and believe in some of those kinds of people, right? But if that's all that God had to choose from, man, this thing, this work is never going to get done, right? Because we're wounded and we're messed up. And when one of us who's on a platform and has a spotlight fails, then everybody goes, see? See how horrid it all is? Never mind. That's why I don't believe. Right there. Look at that. And so what's the biggest accusation of those outside the church for those inside the church? Biggest accusation, number one, hypocrisy, right? Yeah, I hear it every time. It's easy to answer. Hypocrisy, right? We're pretending to be perfect when in fact we're nowhere close. And I say to people, you're right. We are hypocrites. And what better place for hypocrites to gather? <laughs> and so we, here we are. Yeah, I'm tempted, like Joy said, turn to you, you know, and say, hi, I'm a hypocrite. You know, like, introduce yourself in a new way from now on. It'll be great. 
And that's who we are. And we need, we're life givers, but we, we, we offer the life that we've received and it's within the context of our brokenness. And so shoot, here it is. Not many wise, not many noble. God doesn't have much to choose from, but in fact, it's just the opposite. Look at verse 27. But God has chosen, look at the words, the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised, God has chosen the things that are not, so that He may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. Now, I'm just saying, if I was God, (laughs) and clearly I'm not, I would not have done it this way. Right? Who who would have done it this way? This seems like a very bad plan to me, that He's going to leave it up to us, me and you. I mean, I I know me, and I don't know you guys at all, really, right? But I'm just taking a look here everywhere i go people are people or people are people and he's left it with us why why because we have a real story of a genuine encounter with the living god his son jesus christ and we've been lavished and slathered with grace and in that context we have a story to tell how beautiful is that every one of us in the room is qualified who in fact has received that gift of grace You are a life giver, just as you are in your current condition. So I love the way Liberty Mutual put it. It's amazing we've made it this far because it's, maybe it's because when one of us messes up, another comes along to help out. That's the thing about humans. When things are at their worst, we are at our best. But when you're backed up by the power of the resurrection, now that really makes sense. And there's the depth of the truth in it. So now back to chapter 15. In First Corinthians, uh, uh, in First Corinthians, and look at verse forty-five. And I'm at the second point now. If you're filling in the blanks, number one, God chose me in my broken condition. Number two, God chose me just as I am to bridge living souls to the life-giving Spirit. It's verse forty-five. He's called us to be life givers, and it makes very little sense to me, given the condition of my heart and my flesh, in and of myself, left to myself. And honestly, even under grace, I, I get confused by this because I know myself too well. I'm coming. I mean, you're catching me at a time when I'm so aware of just how weak I really am. And now my calling and your calling, it says right here, is to bring living souls together with a life-giving spirit. That's our calling. Look at verse 45. 1 Corinthians 15, 45. So also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Now stick with me here. I've adopted this as my life verse. It's an exact throwback to the day of my calling into disciple-making ministry as a way of life. I'm back as a freshman in college, listening to the compelling speaker in Daytona Beach, Florida. I mean, I was there running away from God over spring break, Daytona Beach, Florida. Okay? And I run into 800 college students that are madly in love with Jesus and that they're telling all the partiers about Jesus. Okay? That's the con- and, I, and I'm sitting amongst this group now trying to get away from God. And in that context of life, God met me there in this crazy, fascinating way. I met the woman I would marry that week. I came back to Jesus in faith that week. And in fact, I received my calling into this full-time vocational ministry that I've been doing all these years since. It was a crazy week. And it's because I realized at that point that I was a life giver. That I was the, there was this living soul in every human being... And there was this life giver. 
the, the, the life breather, God Himself who wanted to give life to the living and dying souls who were of unestimable value to Him and that my life needed to be invested to bring the two together, His truth, His salvation to everything that we are as human beings, respected, loved, cared for, the pinnacle of His creation. So I am this life giver now. And it is the call of God on your life as well. You don't need a Daytona Beach experience for that. It is your call as well. We have Jesus here called the last Adam, meaning he was the perfect and complete man who became a life-giving spirit. Adam and all of his descendants, now referred to as living souls, need the life-giving spirit. Every single human being is most highly honored because they were each created in the image of God and breathed into this breath of life And their life is of utmost value no matter how different they are from you. No matter how much you disapprove of their behavior and their lifestyle. It's because God created them in His image and He values them, so we do as well. And He calls us to give them the life that we've received. So then, our calling is this, bridging living souls to the life-giving Spirit. Our calling. Ours together. So God called you and chose you just like He called me and chose me. I'm a life giver. You're a life giver. We're life givers. And living for any other reason is settling for mere survival. You see, living souls are like we dying in our sins before Jesus found me. And so we have this incredible news to deliver. Since they are a living soul, they will live eternally. Either in the impeccable, flawless presence of Jesus or outside His presence and conscious punishment. That's the reality. That's the bad news, the good news. And there it is. Do you sense the greatness of your purpose for living at this moment? Did you ever wonder why you live? Why you put two feet, one foot in front of the other? Do you lay awake at night like I do sometimes, staring at the ceiling and wondering, why am I going to do it again tomorrow? i got to get up in the morning and do it again? For what reason? Here it is. You are a life giver. In your context, in your sphere, you are a life-giving spirit. Now, what is really fascinating is that God has chosen to use us now in our current condition as we are. Watch this now. It's point number three on your outline. He calls us to be life givers armed only with the story of our encounter with Him as of today. As of today. So look at verse 46 in our next point. Simply this. God chose our earthiness to bring heavenly good. God chose our earthiness to bring heavenly good. Another way of saying that is we are so earthy, we are of heavenly good. That's on your outline if you're filling in the blanks, right? It's a little different than on the screen. There it is. We are so earthy, we are of heavenly good. See, my earthiness extends to having the wrong things written in different places. All right. So we are so earthy, we are of heavenly good. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 46. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth. Earthy. You with me? Okay. The second man is from heaven. As is the earthy, so also are those who are earthy. I know you want to say it with me. And as is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. Just as we have been born the image of the earthy, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. You see the contrast that's being set up here? That the two work hand in hand, they work together. This text is primarily speaking of our transformation in Christ. 
We, by the grace, through faith, in Christ, are changed from natural to spiritual, right? From darkness to light, from death to life. And since we were born of the earthy, we must be changed, and by faith we are, from earthy to heavenly. But until that day when we are changed into the heavenly, we still bear the marks of the earthy. Anybody else frustrated with that? Are you tired of it? I mean, I just feel a little bit like, why so angry still when in fact you know Jesus and he's done so much for you? You know, why still the wandering eye thing? Why after 36 years of marriage isn't your relationship with the wife of your youth so much more more romantic, right? Ladies, since the day you first got married to today, more romantic today or less romantic? Don't raise your hand. Why is it? I'll tell you why. One word. Earthy. And we still remain in this place. Ah, it's frustrating. And I want to be changed after all this time. We are earthy people. Now listen, because this is freedom right here. I believe God has invited us to be so earthy that we are of ultimate and absolute heavenly good. You've heard the phrase, right? He is so heavenly minded that he's of no earthly good. You've heard that phrase, right? What that really means is that guy has become so religious that he's completely out of touch with real life. He's become so like his words, like he pontificates, he's just got this thing, it's pretending, it just doesn't feel right, it's, it's just all spiritualizing everything all the time, and he doesn't know him, his real self, and he doesn't know my real self, and he doesn't even seem like he knows a real God, and he doesn't know reality, that's for sure, he just, he's up here, you know, flying around and all his stuff. Ah, get rid of the religious thing, right? Here's what I believe, I believe that we are, of so, we are, we are so earthy that we are of ultimate heavenly good if we'll keep our feet on earth, found, fixed, right here on the foundation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now we're of ultimate heavenly good. So we're talking about earth and heaven blending and mixing and being confused and messy and even chaotic. And on the one hand, we are unmistakably distinct from other people in our faith and what we believe. On the other, God has designed and determined that we collide in the beauty of authentic graciousness, brokenness together in the same room. And graciousness is only needed in the context of brokenness. Our messiness, covered in grace, gives hope to those who, like us, are also messy, but as yet without hope. And we have the message of hope to offer because we've experienced it. So then, it's not how different from people I am or we are. You with me? So we've been told you should stand out as different from everybody around you. No, it's not, it's not how different I am from people, but how similar to people we are. That makes our story powerful. We're similar, yet we are slathered in grace. And there's the hope of our story. So, we feel earthy and... And, and here's the liberating, purpose-infusing truth. We are earthy by God's design and preference so that we can love and respect and give hope to the earthy as we all walk around on two legs, hopefully most of the time, on this planet. So people around you are wondering if they can find relief, if they can find meaning, if they can find life in the face of their weakness and insecurity and aimlessness. And 
as you in yourself right now live and fail, they wonder if there's any form of reality in your life of faith that they could have. And they watch you live in, living in your ugliness and failing and beauty and hope. And there's a drawing. So I've come to, to, to put it this way. Real is better than perfect. Real is better than perfect. Every time. See, what makes our, us life givers is not that our lives are all together and admirable. It's that we're real and authentic. And yet we live with peace and power. Real is better than perfect. So I want to wrap this whole thing up. I, I started by saying there's two stories. And I've only told you one. And so let me tell you the other one. Uh, we know her as the woman at the well. The story's in John chapter 4, and you've probably heard a bunch of sermons on it if you've hung around the church very much, or we're in Sunday school especially. You know who she is. She's got a horrific reputation in her community. She's lived under this shadow all of her life. She goes to wells at the wrong time of day by herself because she has to avoid everybody in town. And so she's lonely at a very core level. She's, she's broken and without hope, and she's there. And she meets this guy who's sitting by the well. She has no clue who he is, and they engage in conversation. We know, because we're told the story, that it's Jesus. He sent his disciples away into town to get some food, and he orchestrated this divine appointment, this genuine encounter between him and one other individual. An incredibly unique individual. If, if you've been told the history behind it all, you know that the Jews, Jewish men don't talk to women of any kind. They don't even, they're not even seen talking to their wife in public, much less a foreign woman you know, and especially a sinner, right? And so here they are having this conversation. And, and the crazy thing is that this woman now is able then, after this genuine encounter with Jesus, to boil it all down to one sentence, just like our man born blind did. She leaves her bucket of water there after the disciples return and they start talking about other crazy things the disciples often talk about. And she runs back to town in order to look up the leading men of the town and say, you'll never guess who I met. Here are her words, succinctly. Come meet a man who told me everything I've done. That's all you got? But it was a ton, wasn't it? And when you think about the way that he had insight into her heart, knowledge of her brokenness, and yet also gave off an air of grace and love and hope and forgiveness, you can all of a sudden understand the power of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus Christ. So then she says, she asks a question. Her faith isn't mature yet. Her faith isn't even faith yet. She says, could this be the Messiah? Could this be the Savior? Is this the one who, who we were promised would come someday? Is this the one? So here's this woman who hasn't even come to faith yet. The men leave town. They come out to the well to look for themselves. Long story short, they all believe it's him. And they put their faith and trust in Christ. And do you see what happened there in terms of who's qualified to be used by God and who isn't? God opened up an entire new mission field, a brand new country of formerly totally ostracized people by using someone who wasn't even a believer yet and broken and sinful life and horrible reputation. Anybody in the room would have picked them to sit on your board or committee? Would she have qualified to teach your kids over here in the class? See, what I'm trying to emphasize here is that all of us 
because we have a story to tell today, are now released to be used by God in the lives of people around us. Those very people are the ones that He wanted us to love, respect, and to whom to tell our story. So here I'm going to wrap it up with three quick ones. Number one, it's on your outline, you want to see it. If you were in Christ, you have a story to tell. Today, okay? Not when you learn more, not after you get done with these classes that we're going to put you through and all that. Today, you have a story to tell. If you will stop and think just a little bit of those things that that are real in your life and the way that God has touched you in a very particular kind of way. See, people don't want your answers, they want your love. They want to sense respect from you no matter their condition. And because you are now aware of your broken condition, you can respect anyone recognizing that all you have is from God anyway. If you are in Christ, you have a story to tell. Number two, it is your experience of grace that qualifies you to be a life giver. Your experience of grace. And that's your story. And so your weakness connects you to other people that need grace as well. It's not your persuasive conversational skills. It's not your ability to answer every deep theological question that you can't get yourself into one of those sticky situations without the answer. No, the answer is, well, I don't know. Let's journey together to find it. Let's find an answer to that. And we'll walk together in the process. Number three, as a believer priest, you are a life giver. As a believer priest, you are a life giver. And if you don't believe you're a priest, if that's a weird word in your ears right now, and it kind of is, I get it. It really only means bridge. You know that, right? A priest is one who is between man and God, helping man find God. That's what a priest is. Then listen to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Here it is. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Here it is now. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. And that's me, and that's you. And there it is. You were chosen. You were called. And you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And you and I are priests. So my longing is to release every believer priest to influence those around them in their life. And we will. It's the hope that we can offer others is beyond measure. So I'm going to invite the band to come back up right now. And as I do that, I, what I want to do is to give you one practical how. How do I start doing this now? Because you can be released right into this right now. And I'm going to teach you how to pray with people in mind. So right now I want you to think of one person in your life. Think of their first name, who you are pretty sure they have never surrendered their heart to Jesus. Now, we're not judges. We don't know people's heart. We, we don't know what's going on inside of people, right? We don't know. So we're not judging anybody. But you're pretty sure by your conversation and the time you've been with them, that they, they have not, you know, placed their faith in Jesus. Okay, you got that, that, that first name? Okay, on the count of three, I want you to just say that name out loud, conversational tone, so that the drummer can hear you. All right? One, two, three. Did you hear? No, you didn't, didn't hear him, did you? Yeah, okay. Okay, so now I want you to think of three, four more names, and I want you to try it again. Because we know a lot of people. Some of you don't know that many. You think you don't know that many, but you're rubbing shoulders with them all the time. Think about the people that you don't like very much. Ah, the list starts getting really long. Now think about the people that don't like you very much. And the list gets really long. Here, look at that. Now you got all kinds of names, right? Okay. I want you to think of those names. Now I want you to say all those names so the drummer can hear on the count of three. One, two, three. Does anybody else get excited about how cool that sounds? 
So here's what we do. We add, we add a prayer right at the front of saying all those names out loud. And the prayer is like this. God, please send your Holy Spirit to draw these people to salvation in Jesus and make them a kingdom laborer that reaches other people too. And now all of a sudden you've released the power of the gospel all around your community with specific people that Jesus loves more than you do. For whom Jesus died. And he's going to complete his kingdom through that. And you are right in the thick of it. Let's pray. Father, I am so grateful to you that right now you have given to us the privilege of being known by you, called by you, adopted by you, and sent out with you in the process of what it is to know life and be life givers all around us. I pray, Lord, that that you would take us and use us in every way in our reality currently, right now, and we'll give you thanks in Jesus' name. It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the Internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, is radically committed to reaching the unchurched in the Bay Area and to developing believers into fully devoted followers of Christ. Thanks again for listening.